it's Jim Conley from the Grow Microbiology Podcast, and I am so excited to be here today. I feel like a broken record sometimes because I say that all the time because I'm literally with one of my favorite people on the planet, Heidi Smith from Front Range Community College. Heidi, how the heck are you? I'm good. How are you, Joe? It's good, here to, good to be here with you. Yep. We are actually doing this show live, which is a luxury. Sometimes we have to do these over the telephone, but this one's live. We're actually podcasting from Nashville, Tennessee, which is a lot of fun. It is. It's been a great time. You're probably wondering what we're doing in Nashville. Um, we're actually here for a couple product development symposia. Uh, one that Heidi attended was on virtual labs. I was in the majors biology area. And Heidi, I got to tell you, um, we actually listened to Rob Brooker talk about active learning. And I've heard of active learning and I had some notions about what it was. So you heard the keynote address uh, uh-huh. a couple days ago. And then we had a workshop today. And it was so fun to really see how different active learning is. It is. And what the opportunities are. For sure. And uh, we'll get into some details here about you know what you've done in the classroom. So for the audience, do you want to explain how long have you been teaching? Um, I've been teaching for almost 18 years. Started my teaching career at the high school level. Uh, fun, different. And uh, I've been teaching 13 years at my current position at Front Range Community College. It's awesome, and, and I've actually had the luxury of sitting in one of your lab sessions. Maybe if we get some time, we'll talk a little bit about what my observations were and then you know what your observations were when I got to, to sit in, but you're an awesome instructor, and you also have other things that you do too, right? So you're doing some authorship? Yes, I am. So I am an author on the uh, Cowan Microbiology Systems Approach book and the Cowan Fundamentals Microbiology book as well as a lab manual. Oh, that's great. I don't know how you fit it in. And you you have a lot of other obligations, too, with family, right? For sure. You must be really organized. No. (laughs) Just good at putting out a lot of fires. Well, and as you can tell, so when we got started here, um, Heidi saw my desktop, which is an absolute disaster. That'll be my challenge for the next show. I'm going to have to clean that up, and I'll do a screenshot for Heidi when uh, when that happens. But it's an absolute disaster, so I'm not organized. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's actually a work of art. Yeah, it's it's a mess. So tell the audience, uh, what excites you the most about teaching? You know, I have to be honest. It, this might sound a little bit cliche, but it's the students. And uh, over the last couple of years, I've spent quite a bit of time working on some different grant projects that have gotten me only in the classroom about half my normal time. And I really, that's what I love because that's what I miss the most as the students. And, and honestly, when you're, when you're a microbiology teacher, you're, really none of your students want to be there that first day. Like very few of them are excited. Most of them are nervous. They're scared. And so I also think it's really fun to see somebody become excited about something that they were completely dreading. Yeah, and it's amazing. So when I did sit, I, I just can't stop. When I sat in on your lab, I was on day two, right? Yep. And on day two, so Heidi did this awesome thing where she had a Keurig uh, article. So the Keurig coffee machines, it was from the Huffington Post. Yep. And I was sat in a little pot of students. And you're exactly right. Like when they got there, they looked one way. And by the time they ended your class, they were so confident. They were aggressive. The scientific language that they were using was really, it blew me away. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. So maybe we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, tell me, what is your philosophy for teaching? Do you have one? Yeah, I, I would say it's changed a lot over the course of the 15 years I've been at the community college. Um, I started my career early teaching the same way I was taught. 
Um, so very traditional oriented, making sure we delivered all the content and didn't miss any, you know, bold faced words in the text and so forth. And, um, I think I've sort of, I've evolved, I've, I've sort of evolved to, um, really began to major on what I consider the majors. And, and by that, I don't even mean just content, but teaching students critical thinking, helping them to um, see their misconceptions and fix them, um, challenging them to be lifelong learners, which was part of that Keurig article, was there's really nothing magical about a Keurig article or a Huffington Post article, but what's magic is showing students how to approach something with a critical eye and begin to ask questions and then begin to find where do I go to get answers to these questions and then what's my takeaway? And I want them to leave class able to do that, even if they forget what E. coli is yeah. a few years from now. So I, I think I've just kind of changed my philosophy as to what are those real major outcomes I want every student to have when they walk out of my door. So in this pot of students that I was with, uh, two quotes that I remember so well. The, the one young lady said, I feel like I can take any article that I now read and I know what questions to ask. And in her words, she said, I could just rip it apart. Yep. And really understand, you know, how to attack it from the perspective of being a scientist. So that was one. And then the other student, what she said was, I just feel like I'm so confident about the material. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to watch her. She was an older student. Uh, I think she was probably, if I'm guessing, maybe 45. But so I think she was a little intimidated to, you know, be in the lab on day two. Right. But I think she walked out with really that warm embrace of here's the science. Or like, I don't need to know everything. All I need to be able to do is ask questions and then go figure out where to get answers, which is the scientific method that we teach them the steps of. Yeah. But they like were actually doing it without even knowing they were doing it. So awesome. So I know in terms of your role here at McGraw-Hill, you're a digital author. How did you get involved in digital authorship? Can I be honest and say it was you, Jim? (laughs) Yes, you can. Uh, When we first met years ago at uh, the ASM Conference for Undergraduate Educators, I think it was in Buffalo. Yep. And uh, I was new career. I think I'd only been there maybe a couple years, or that might have even been the first year. And uh, I was sort of tasked with creating a hybrid microbiology class, which is very difficult when it comes to lab. And then, but for me, it was very difficult because I had never done any online teaching at all. And so I I look back now and I would say I kind of crashed and burned that first hybrid go. Um, I mean, I did my very best, but um, I think I felt like there had to be something that could truly bring teaching through a device, but there was nothing at the time. And so, you know, as we talked and talked about some ideas of what I'd love to see, I got involved in some smaller projects, um, started my very first project was actually Learn Smart for the Cowan third edition, I believe. Um, or se- no, it was the second, second edition. edition yeah. Yep. And, uh, and so that was my first kind of exposure. And I think I found that as I'm writing things, not only am I, I'm learning, but I'm becoming a better teacher because of my authorship. And then I'm becoming a better author because of my teaching. And so they just, they go absolutely hand in hand. I love it. I remember when you and I met in Buffalo, that was such a cool experience. I walked away from our exchange and I said, that is a really awesome educator, awesome person. Um, And so for me, to give you guys some context, I was a brand new editor for microbiology. I'd worked in anatomy and physiology for a long time. So very much like your students, it was a whole new world for me and it was intimidating. Like I didn't know what gram positive was or gram negative. 
uh, prokaryotic, eukaryotic. I mean, those are terms that you know we don't really experience a whole lot in the AMP discipline. So, you know, I really appreciate you know how welcoming you were with me, and then uh, I really am proud of what you've done. Um, in your tenure as an author, I think that uh, you just do a remarkable job. You've heard me say that a million times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the funny things, just I think for the audience here, you guys will like this. Um, in anatomy and physiology, when you do a cover, it's one of the most difficult things. So people have opinions, so you have to look at gender. Um, so often we'll try to have females on the cover, but you have to be careful that you don't have anything in there that would be technically inappropriate, mm-hmm. you know, for a wider audience. And then uh, we had one cover that we did where we had a gentleman where we had a drawing, and he had sunglasses on. And the sunglasses looked like Nike sunglasses, and that cover ended up getting rejected by one of our executives because they said, you know, we can't be representing a brand without permission and all that stuff. So the long story short, when I got into microbiology with Cowan Tui. I literally had no idea what was on the cover. Like I had to yep. ask Kelly Cowan, like, what is this? I think it was Staphylococcus on skin. It if was. I remember on it the front the blue, cover. It was the orange blue and blue. Blue and orange, yep. yep. One of my favorite covers. And the best thing about that darn cover is it got approved like in two seconds. Because <laughs> yeah. nobody knew what it was. And we have fantastic pictures in yeah. micro. Yeah. And there's some funny things like uh, your colleague Barry Chess. Yes. With uh, one of his covers, he had an interesting yes. um way to describe it so we won't go too much into that maybe we'll get barry on the show and barry we can ask great. him about that okay so for the audience this might be a little bit repetitive you guys already know this but uh, let's talk about like what are the three things that come to mind for you in terms of i like to call them common offenders yeah. uh, the topics that students really struggle with uh, I know there's more than three. Yeah, but. well, and I think you could think kind of broadly, just general three areas that are always trouble spots for students, and sometimes even in multiple life science courses. But you know, I would say genetics and the things related to g- gene transfer, things that are new and that they haven't heard before in biology. Um, metabolism is always a rough one, and I'm sure A and P folks can say oh, yeah. the same thing um, when they talk about the digestive system. And then for us, really, I think probably the hardest thing, and it's a huge topic, is immunology, because immunology is like a it's like a PhD program, and oh, yeah. we get one chapter, maybe two chapters, and so maybe a week, two weeks at the most to cover it, and that becomes the greatest challenge, not only for them to learn, but for us to teach. Yeah, it's amazing how immunology. It's such a scary thing. Like even you know, when I talk to anatomy and physiology professors, they'll often say, I really don't know how to teach that yeah. part of the book. Right. And, you know, and then doing editorial work, there are a lot of uh, ways you can teach it, right? You can right. go into a lot of detail if you have someone who's got background. You have other folks that just briefly touch upon it. Um, and I think I just came up with a, another idea that we might have to look at later um, there's somebody that I know that's really passionate about immunology, and she does a great job of translating mm-hmm. how you teach it, how you approach it, and her whole goal is to make sure that people don't skip it. Because right. I think that's what we see sometimes. At least in AMP, people skip that chapter because yep. yep. it's too difficult. For sure. So yeah, those are the three. So are there any animations or maybe digital strategies that you like to share with the audience as to how you help your students yeah. master those three areas? Um, I think, well, I think first and foremost, because those discipline or those topics tend to have a lot of vocabulary associated with them, but then there are also these complex processes 
first and foremost, if I can get the students to somehow grab a hold of the language first, then when I begin to describe the complex process, it becomes at least I'm not speaking a, yep. a foreign language to them. Um, and so the, obviously things like the smart book uh, available in Connect where the students are reading ahead of time and they're really kind of focusing in on those core concepts and those those vocabulary terms, having them do that before they come to class I think is one of the first steps I can do is make sure that they've got the fundamentals before I try to take them that next step. Um, I think using active learning strategies like concept mapping in groups um, because these are processes and they're not always linear, so it's not like step eight, one, step two, step three. Concept mapping works really well for them to have to figure out how all of those pieces work together. Um, and then I also like a lot of the questions in the Connect Question Bank that I've worked on where it's getting students to begin to synthesize material rather than trying to just recite a PowerPoint slide to you. Um, so we have lots of different classification questions where students are comparing and contrasting things, um, having to create a paragraph with all of those terms, but the paragraph has to make sense. So they right. have to use the terms correctly. Um, just getting them to work with the material in an active way rather than just hearing it once. Um, and then the other thing I tell them is that they need to hear it from more than just one person. Cause right. I might like when you talked about immunology, like I do my best and I may have two out of 24 students that get it when I'm done. Somebody else might be able to explain it in a way that hits another two or three students. And so I always talk about going in and listening to videos, anything that's related to those topics, hearing multiple voices, reading multiple text on that. And it seems to help them a little bit. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing that you were just mentioning there, hearing it from someone else is definitely good. I think even though we don't like to talk about it a lot, sometimes reading it Absolutely. I think is really effective. Um, just the other day I was reading something in a marketing book and it was interesting because the author of the book wasn't going to say like, you should do A, B, and C, but I had remembered something I read earlier in the chapter and all of a sudden I started linking the pieces together. Yes. And I would imagine that happens a lot with your students too, mm -hmm. you know, that they're in that same situation. Yeah. And, and the more like tools that you can give them that sort of just make that happen naturally. Yeah. The, the better for sure. Um, I also have them work pretty hard on teaching one another. Um, I talk a lot about, especially with things like humanology and metabolism, where you have these vast diagrams, sometimes a two page spread. Um, and I talk to them, if you can't tell the story yourself, you really don't understand it. And so if you have, even if you had that picture in front of you, would you be capable with that as your tool, be able to explain it to other people? And if you can get to that point, then you know that you truly know it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. So a lot of active learning stuff. Now, you mentioned SmartBook, so yep. I'm familiar with SmartBook. Um, it's our adaptive reading platform here at McGraw-Hill Education. When you look at that tool for a microbiology course, how does it help the average student from your perspective? Well, I think it helps all students, and I tell them all that. So, um, you know, for those of you that are not familiar with it, as Jim said, it's adaptive. And so as students are reading, um, they're given a set of practice questions to really practice with the material at a certain level that's, you know, sort of set by the instructor. And, um, you know, so for the, the A student, the amazing student, the one who tells you they don't need this stuff, you know, they should be able to get through it really quickly because they get those practice questions right the first time. They're able to read, comprehend. Those are few and far between. You also then have the other students that struggle mightily with comprehension, and it takes them a lot longer to work through those practice questions, but they still have to get there too. Yeah. And so even though it takes them longer, but I'd say for the average student, um, it gives them a, an accountability piece. Yep. So it's, it's putting something in their court that they have to do 
actively Mm -hmm. rather than pretending to passively read or skim, which is everyone's nature. Um, And then it also gives them a place to be prepared, like I said, when they come to class, having some type of framework so that when we do talk about things at a more difficult level or a more connected level, they're not grasping, just trying to get a hold of the basics. Yeah, that's great. It's an amazing tool. It's We require it across all of our microbiology courses, no matter who's teaching it, because it has made such a huge difference in students actually having a chance at learning those topics that yeah. we just talked about. Well, it's, my, it's funny you mentioned this. So I have a friend of mine who teaches anatomy and physiology. He dabbled a little bit in microbiology, but A&P was his wheelhouse, and he's a demanding instructor, good guy, little bit gruff, and he had a student, this is years ago too, um, she would come to office hours, and she didn't always love his bedside manner. Right. We'll leave it at that. And he was frustrated with her. She was struggling in the course. And then he said, well, I basically have this connect and it's got this thing called Learn Smart in it at the time. He said, just go through and answer these questions and, you know, see if that helps you. Yeah. He had no idea what was in there. So she started to improve in terms of her grades in the course and then she never went to go see him. Uh. And then just because of the number of students that he teaches, he lost her. Like she was in the second term, just kind of like went through, and then at the end of the year, she wrote him a note and said, uh, "Thank you for recommending this Learn Smart, mm-hmm. which is now called Smart Book." Sorry to confuse you guys, but she said the fact that you gave that to me was a difference. It helped me the most because it kept me on track all the time. Exactly what you just said, and she said the thing that she didn't have to do, and she said, "I hope you don't get offended by this," but then I didn't have to come see you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> which is kind of funny. It was yeah. like. I don't know if I'm, I feel good about that yeah. or not, but as long as she did well, that's all I care about. Right. It's funny. All right. So with um, digital features, so when you take a look at like Cowan or Cowan Fundamentals, what are three of the, your favorites? If you have favorites. I know it's oh, hard I, to do. I do yeah. have some favorites for sure. sure. So well, one of my favorite things about being the digital author on those brands is that I love working alongside the author. And yeah. that's, I think, one of the strengths of the McGraw-Hill products is that Kelly Cowan and I are friends. We are partners. We work together. And so whatever she's doing in the book kind of inspires me digitally and and vice versa. And and so I do have some favorites. One of the things is um, at the beginning in the Cowan big book, as I always call it, the Cowan systems approach book, uh, she has the intros to the chapters are now called media under the microscope, which is where I got the whole idea for the Keurig article in the first place. So that was not mine. That was Kelly's Uh, just how we did it in the class was, you know what I did. But one of the things that inspired me um, digitally when I was writing things is that those case studies or those media under the microscopes, they're always fantastic in every book. But as a, especially as an early career teacher, I didn't know what to do with them. They're, They're like passively there Students don't even read them. You know, unfortunately, there's sometimes the best thing in there. Um, And so I purposefully went through and designed activities that go along with every single one of those chapter openers to extend the learning. So whatever that media under the microscope article write-up is at the beginning, there is an absolutely an activity, sometimes two or three in each chapter that allow um, allow an instructor to immediately have something to assign. That can be group work. It can be active learning in the classroom. It could be homework. Um, and I, I love those. So I'm very proud of those and, and I utilize as many as I can in my own class, um, which then I see if they work so I can fix them. Um, I also love the fact that we have a lot of clinical relevance inside our um, 
inside our test banks and question banks. So um, a lot of links to morbidity and mortality weekly reports with CDC. So students are getting a little bit of practice reading some literature. Um, We have NCLEX questions. And then I also love, and I didn't make these myself, but um, we have some sort of Khan Academy style videos that go along with some of the art from the chapters. And so the students watch like a three or four minute video. And then they just flat out answer some questions that'll help make sure they really understood it. Yeah, those are amazing. So now I know the story behind all of it. So when I was in your lab, I had no yes. idea media in the microscope. That's where it came from, which I should have. Yes. In full disclosure, but that's okay. Yeah. No, it was. I'm I, still improving. That I'm was for, that was Kelly's one of Kelly's passions, and and you know, and she and I working together. It was something that I wanted to be able to do was actually use these beautifully written things that get students starting to think about popular media. So yes. That was my activity, but it was all Kelly's brainchild. It's awesome. So how has active learning really helped you in your course? I think it's actually critical. Um, we talk a lot about wanting students to be problem solvers, wanting them to think at a higher order, but that can never be accomplished sitting in your seat listening to somebody. And, and so to me, active learning is the only ticket to really – teaching your students how to critically think. Um, it's also incredibly motivating and engaging for them. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm a pretty good lecturer, but you can only be so great. And, yeah. and at some point, somebody doesn't want to listen to you anymore after 45 minutes. And, and so to get students to have to actually digest the material in some way, to me, it is the only way you will ever get them to those levels of thinking that you want to test them at. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I guess along those same lines, let's say if you were all of a sudden – um, in a position where you're going to give me advice, let's say I'm all of a sudden going to go teach microbiology for the first time, what advice would you give me? Um, well, first I would tell you to leverage the tools yep. to help you, um, but start simple, like baby steps. Um, try something new each semester. Um, revise it as you need. Um, I would say be strategic about when you decide to use tools because that's one of the things that I think I struggle with early on was just assign and I called it assign and resign. Like you put it in there and then you walk away and just hope it's doing something magic. Um, but realizing that better to start small, use things strategically with intention and with purpose, use the data on the back end to make sure that it's doing really what you want it to. And then add another piece. And so sometimes I think, you know, I've been doing it for so long. I'll, I'll talk to people about my course and, and they'll just want to jump right in. And I'll say, it took me like seven years to get here. Yeah. You know, so just starting with baby steps and really using tools to, to do things that you can't do better. Right. Well, it's amazing you mentioned that because you were sitting next to Molly Scheel earlier, mm-hmm. one of my very good friends, and she did this piece for us. It's an article on assessments with intention. Yes. And she was just talking about like formative, summative assessment, and then really asking yourself, why are you giving whatever the assessment is? Yes. And really checking that why box is so important. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that you were just mentioning just brushes of that. When you were sitting right next to Molly, it's awesome. Yep, it's, it's 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 important. Yeah. Okay. So one thing I like to do on the show is I like to ask my guests, "Do you have a favorite bacteria or microbe? What would it be, and then why?" Oh, there's a lot of choices, but I think I would probably pick HIV. And I know that's a strange one, probably, um, but I, I do this whole day. On HIV in my class, we talk about it. We um, do a simulation of the ELISA screening test that they use to screen blood and, and so forth for um, 
for HIV, but I think it, it just illustrates so many aspects about disease and like future technology, like the whole CRISPR thing that's all over the news and gives you a chance to really talk to students about things that are on the cutting edge. Um, I love it because it's, it's a microbe that has associated with a disease that has misconceptions. Right. Um, you kind of see a society piece to it, which is interesting. There's a global perspective to it, which I think is something we often lose um, in, in just everyday thinking. And then I think it also illustrates for students one of those major things I talked about earlier, and that is the need to be a lifelong learner. And I always hold up, there's a AIDS update that it's actually published by McGraw-Hill. I, every so often it comes and it's a big, thick book and it's all the newest stuff that they found out about the disease. And I show that to students and I give them an example. I said, this is all the new stuff in a year that they found out about a disease. And so there's no way you can take my class now and come back here five years later and expect that you're going to hear the same story. And so I said, don't accuse me of lying to you five years from now. What you're going to find out is that we've learned so much. And I think that's why I like that disease. I like that microbe. I like talking about it. And usually I leave students just kind of walking out with some thoughts, which is important to me too. I'm glad you mentioned the AIDS update um, book that we publish. I have book, pamphlet. I, I yeah. always think it's, it's like a, a soft cover. If I remember correctly, that's authored by Gerald Stein. Yes. Yeah. And what a great person Gerald is. Okay. I've Just amazing. Those uh, takes me back, you know, my editor days. You know, really uh, working with Gerald on that, and uh, it's just a great piece. Um, and I would never have guessed HIV. No, it's a, probably a weird one for things, you know, for people. But I, like I said, it's just it's so it's such a rich thing to be able to talk about, um, and and it impacts students to and leaves them thinking in so many different directions when they walk out the door, and gets at those sort of those big overarching sort of skills and processes that I want them to have when they leave micro and ten years down the road. Well, I hope none of the parents out there, you know, give, give me a hard time about this. But the other day we were watching TV and a commercial came on. They mentioned AIDS. My son's nine. He started asking me questions. And I'm going to tell you that I did not answer any of them mm-hmm. because I had no clue, like, yeah. even how to start. You know, he's still pretty young. He doesn't know all about a lot of those things yet. And, right. and so it's interesting. Now there's more education about it, obviously. And it's still yeah. a pretty hot topic. Yeah. But it's nowhere near, like, I remember when it first started. Right. I remember all of the Well, that's the perspective I bring to students yeah. because I, I was a kid in the 90s. Yeah. I remember Magic Johnson's announcement, and most of my students weren't even alive at, right. that, at that point. But the, I always send a sheet out at the beginning of the day, and it's a truth or false or fact or fiction, whatever you want to call it. And I put all kinds of things about HIV and AIDS on there. And I have them work in groups to determine whether it's a true or false statement. And what's interesting is how many they get wrong. And and I always tell them not to feel bad because I've actually given it to colleagues of mine in the biology department and they will miss a ton of them just because of how rapidly things change and how much we learn about something that maybe we knew about 10 years ago. We know so much more and we've completely maybe reversed what we once thought about it. And so I just think it's, it's just a fun thing to talk about. So, and give kids, I also hope that they leave with some compassion and that's an important thing, especially since all of my students for the most part are headed into some type of health career at some level. And, and obviously I think that's a key component as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. And also Heidi, thank you for sharing your time with us here on this episode of Grow Microbiology. So on the behalf of all of our listeners, Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. It's always fun. And we're going to have you back on the show. I'm thinking we should probably talk about virtual labs maybe. Great. 
or any one variety of things. But really appreciate you being here today. And then also, listeners, if you get a chance and you like this podcast, please give us a rating on wherever you consume your podcasts. So right now we're on iTunes. We're also on Spotify. You can get that online through Buzzsprout. And then we're working through some details to get on Stitcher. Uh, We've already applied for that. And then uh, Google Podcasts. So we'll be coming to those other outlets, but we really appreciate you guys listening. Definitely give us a review. If you'd like to be on the show, send me an email, james.connelly at mheducation.com. I would love to have you on the show. And if you also have show topics and you don't want to be on the show, just send those in too and we'll get those on the roster. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate you guys being here today and hope you have a good one for Grow Microbiology. Goodbye from Nashville. (laughs) 